0: basically what happened, the standard of objectification and femininity, and when I say femininity, I don't mean like womanly, I mean like the stereotypical archetypal kind of femininity, those standards became so high, the kind of what was expected and what was performed, coupled with having to go out and have all this pornified horrible sex that no one enjoyed, that I think they they had to open up non-binary to say, but like, oh, if you're de-sexed, if you don't want to participate, you can always not be a woman. And it's interesting because it's non-binary. It's something that you're not, not something that you are. So the implication is the rest of us are binary. And what that means for women is the rest of us like being objectified whatever it's just kind of made real the objectification for everyone else it's not surprising to me that a generation who thinks that can like hop skip jump to the idea that that objectification in and of itself is what being a woman is
1: welcome to the new flesh podcast the podcast you deserve my name is jonathan astro and with me is my comrade ricky Orpike. ricky
2: how are you good thanks how are you yeah, good. good. Why are you looking nervous? Uh, I don't are know. You not, uh, I was going to ask you if you've ever been to a slut walk. Oh, um, no. You know, is there one coming up? or Not that I know of. Okay. But uh, this does pertain to our interview today. We do touch a little bit on the phenomenon that was the slut walk, which I don't know, is it like five, ten years old? I don't know. Yeah, they, I feel like it might be happening. five or
1: six years old, yeah. that, that concept. One of many concepts we cover with Hannah Borelli from Red Femme today. It's delighted to have her back. Um, but yeah, the, the, the slut walk thing, just even the word is, I mean, it's obscene, isn't it? You can't walk mm. around just saying sluts, can you? I don't if think so. If I just so. walked around saying that word over and over again, <laughs> wouldn't someone go, hey, 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 calm down, what's all this about? And you say, well, i don't know. Just it's
2: saying, very, just, you know, it's very, it's very 90s. Beavis and butthead, isn't it?
1: Oh they yes, would say sluts all the time. Very good. Yes. And then they do that bit in the movie where um they get slot, slot machine slots, slot machines, yeah, slots. And, say, and sluts, there's heaps, yeah. there's heaps of sluts in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, Hey, that's the old lady says, <laughs> There's heaps of slots in Vegas. <laughs> so that's a bit of uh, millennial humor for you there. And we uh cover uh embarrassing <laughs> what it's like to be an embarrassing millennial
2: in this discussion. Uh, I I think we might have embarrassed ourselves right now. Yes, happens frequently. Well, we need your help here at The New Flash. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about a show you liked or perhaps one that you didn't. Word of mouth is also a very powerful tool, so please tell all of your friends. And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me A Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. And now, on with the show. Hannah Borelli is a Marxist and feminist. She's the editor of On the Woman Question and the co-host of the Ascendant Red Femme podcast alongside Dr. Jen Isaacson. Hannah, welcome back to The New Flesh and uh, happy birthday. A little birdie told me it was your birthday.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago. Thanks so much for having, having me. I'm happy to be on.
2: Well, I feel
1: like we should, we should call it the Ascendant Red Femme. I think we should call it the Triumphant Red Femme because your numbers uh uh they've constantly it's constantly growing uh, that must be must be good to have people you know uh, like responding to what you guys are doing
0: yeah jen has like a leaderboard she quite she has all these targets and goals and i'm just like yeah it's great people listen i'm happy <laughs> uh, show up and yeah no it's it's great i'm i and i so prefer it um in so many ways to just twitter and like twitter threads and I mean, it's a bit of a cliche to say, isn't it, that there's just so much misunderstanding um, that happens on that website. And it's a cliche because it's a bit true, isn't it? Like, it's just so easy for things to get so mixed up. I don't even like the spaces so much, even though it's a bit better. It's just because like the the heightened kind of atmosphere of it being on Twitter makes people a bit crazy, and someone goes, You know, this is being recorded. Ah, nah. And you're like, Oh, um, whereas podcasts are a bit more chilled.
1: I've just noticed that spaces has really taken off in the last yes. few weeks. Yeah. So have we all noticed this?
0: Yeah, I think Elon Musk really pushed it. I remember they had it for a bit and then they got rid of it. Am I remembering that correctly? They had it before Elon, they had it for a bit and then they got rid of it. And then, yeah, Elon brought it back. And these huge spaces were speaking to like world leaders and, debates on things and But I
1: think you're right it it it's got an adversarial uh I don't know um tone about it and the all the ones I've tuned into uh mostly have been there's just something going on there's a, there's a sinister undertone going on it doesn't yeah. seem like a very relaxed place well I mean you've sort of already said that it, it might just be because it's on Twitter but I mean that's a problem don't don't you think
0: It is it is a problem I, and, you know, has even gotten to the points now where I'll read a book and um, it's clearly just like, usually a guy, women write different kinds of pathological books, but it's, it's usually a guy going, I'm going to prove my Twitter adversaries wrong, but in 50,000 words, like it's like really like, you can tell he has the opposition in his head and it's not the best environment I think for, um, You know discovering ideas and talking about things is it and i usually find those kinds of books quite tedious because i'm like well i'm not that person like i'm not trying to catch you out i'm just much more interested in what you think
1: funny you should say that because we we get criticism uh you know on on when we post to youtube and a few other places where people say uh you know i would have preferred if they'd you know what they're always saying is you should have pushed back this is the this is the term that i don't think i'd heard until i don't know like two years ago pushed back on that you know and they that people uh there's a few people who want us to do that and you know i'm just frankly i mean i'm more interested in in hearing the unvarnished idea of someone and where they feel you know i hate to use the term but they they feel comfortable and safe and 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 we're all just we're all just getting along and 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 when it's not about as you say trying to catch someone out or you know i'm not like yeah thinking of the twitter people like like you know not to i won't even besmirch some of our some some of the other podcasts out there but there's a big podcast where that interviews people uh, every week in the uk and man they've lent into the this this pushback culture where it's just like where you sort of in your mind go i'm edward murrow and i need to come at this person and and really you know provide the alternative what do you think
0: i think there's room for that but it it can be reductive right like i I think you end up i think you're are you talking about pierce morgan that's how i feel about pierce morgan every time i watch him is like he has to uh, especially with recent events has to kind of do both sides very aggressively but i think that only works really if you're like a ultra formal, ultra above board, like BBC kind of journalist Mm. um, that you don't know the person's pushing, pushing back, pushing back opinion, you know, because then you get to say, Oh, well, this is just like being a journalist. Um, But when you know what the person thinks, and to hear them push back equally on everyone, you think, Oh, goodness, there's something here that's really kind of inauthentic and performative. It's also this thing of like, pretending you're above ideology like you don't have your own opinions on things that i think a lot of people like to do as well like the intellectual dark web thing is a bit over now isn't it but i remember when that was huge it was like well i'm above labeling myself anything and i'm you know it's like well everyone has a, a point of view and you know the the marxist slavlov zizek he says on um, the space in which ideology functions is exactly where you think ideology isn't functioning um, and I think about that quite a lot.
1: Mm, that's a great quote. Well, uh, on just before we move on from uh, uh, you know, so social media and things. You 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 know, you're on TikTok and and you do a lot of reactions from your your perspective uh, on there. Um, well, firstly, to, what's your latest video that's 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 doing well on TikTok?
0: Oh goodness, what was my latest one that I did just recently? I did one about um, mothers. Um, because there's this bit of a thing on TikTok where women will talk about the unequal division of labor in their homes, like just like how much more work they're expected to do domestically and what a burden this is on their lives and their relationships and their health or whatever, um, which is all great. But then at the same time, similar women or some of the same women will complain about their mothers, who get exhausted and freak out and get angry at everyone for not helping out. So I think I did a video response to one of these women who was making fun of mothers basically being like, oh, when mom gets all upset and starts yelling at everyone about not helping her. And I was like, isn't this like the same generation of people, mostly women who talk all the time about the unequal division of labor and men have, um, what's the term they use? Not learned helplessness, but um, weaponized incompetence when it comes to domestic labor and stuff, but when it's a woman over 45, suddenly we can just like mock her for pointing it out. Um, and that video did well, though. Some people picked pointed out in the comments, which I think is probably true that what ends up happening in those situations is it's the daughter that's expected to pick up the slack, not the, uh, not the husband or the son. And it's becomes this generational thing, which I think is probably true.
1: So. So are these kind of millennial mothers, who were who are doing the complaining?
0: Yeah, it's the millennial mothers, a lot of millennial women. There's like this, uh, there's a couple of accounts that are like, if your, um, boyfriend is doing, um, weaponized incompetence. And the idea is that he pretends not how to do something. So he's not asked to do it again. Um, so I don't know how to load the dishwasher, but it's like, actually, we just don't want to do it. Um, so it's all about how to call out your man for doing weaponized incompetence um and then yeah like the next video will be like making fun of a 50 year old woman getting upset at christmas for having to do all the work and i just thought that was a bit contradictory
2: there's a lot of negotiation that goes on in a relationship i mean i think maybe we should talk more people should talk more about that like you should actually negotiate with your partner like domestic duties and stuff like that you know yeah
0: i agree i think it I think it sometimes ends up being the expectation, but I also think a lot of women, um, it's what they see that, that they offer in the relationship. They're like, I can do this. This is how I contribute. And um, as a feminist, I can like recognize that's a, a part of like a socialization process. And I think it happens really early on in development. It's how you kind of see yourself and your worth and relation to other people. Um, so it is a very much like, I think can be a very self-enforcing system, which I think is reflected in like a sec. The second a woman over forty-five says it, then suddenly it's a problem. Um, there seems to be also a lot of young women. Um, I just see it on TikTok. I spend way too much time on TikTok. Like I, I've installed a, an app blocker on my phone so I don't doom scroll. This on is my next question,
1: as- actually. Go on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it just it gets really yeah it gets gets really bad. But a lot of young women on TikTok, like when I point out like, oh, but like you'll be that older woman, Like you're gonna at one point be forty five. They just like don't see, they just were like they're like, no, what like they can't
2: it's funny you mentioned that. Like a, a lot of the uh a lot of the gender critical feminists that were at the let let women speak rally here in Melbourne, I remember a bunch of them were yelling out to some of the young female TRAs in, in the crowd, we are you. You know, this is what you're going to become. You know, you're going to become old one day. You're going to be forty one day. And that, they were yelling that sort of stuff at, at, at those, at those women.
0: Yeah. The age dynamics, I think that there is a real lack of understanding. I think when you're young, uh, you end up just, you end up being quite naive about men. And I don't mean it in like men are these horrible goblins and men bad or whatever. But like, if you don't have a male sexuality, you don't know. Mm. The kind of the extent of it, so like you know, you think, of course, a man is like dressing up as a woman because it represents something complicated about his internal world or something, and not that he's a fetish. And yeah, I just I also just think that um, you know, women's worth is so connected um, to sexual value and reproductive value that the second that's no longer in the question, it's like so many women just say like, oh yeah, like. I just became completely invisible like it was like i didn't exist anymore mm.
2: um, yeah i've heard this
0: yeah a lot of women internalize that as well they don't think they'll become older
1: well i was well i was working at a counter one day at, at, at a at a thing and um a lady accused me of a, a, a boomer lady accused me of of not serving her over a a, a younger and vibrant and attractive <laughs> young girl next to her she said i'm you really this girl over me and i'm invisible so she, she really took me to task I'll never know and, the truth maybe I did I don't know uh,
2: yeah was I was going to I was going to say were you guilty
1: well I never kiss and tell however <laughs> uh you know it's a, it's a provocative thought and I've heard the women in my life talk about it my sister talks about um she's a uh, you know uh, approaching 50 and and she's talked she she sort of um has this response where she said that it's almost a relief you know what I mean like to be um yeah. free of of this kind of un- of the
2: male gaze yeah well,
1: <laughs> no need to raise your eyes like that like you know you don't not you're not doing the male gaze every day but uh yeah so she's talked talk about it like that but it's a it's a real thing you know this invisibility cloak of 40 plus unless you've you've got to be hot you've got to be or you've got to you've got to you've got to be like you know, I don't know, like a, well, yeah, milk, <laughs> <a cougar. laughs> you've got to be Cougar Styles. You've got to, you know, like to just, you know, do all that. Stippler's mom, you know? Yes.
0: I also think there's something about this generation being what they call digitally native. So they've just been online their entire lives, which I can't imagine. Like, I didn't have social media even as an adolescent. So I just can't imagine like the iPad babies having grown up. And I think for them, what happens online is real and what happens offline is less real. And if older women haven't been on the Internet, you know, they haven't been. So they're not they're not in the real world. They're not in the perspective in which to consider. Um, It's not not a demographic that they think about, I think, because, yeah, they just haven't been on social media and for them that's that's the real world that's where the real things happen
1: that is such a good point about you know i mean uh i'm so not about this whole representation uh obsession thing however um you know when we were when we were coming up we used to watch uh, a great sitcom that exposed us to older ladies it was called the golden girls all right (laughs) and you know this was um a great show funny and it, it was now that I think about it uh, that and cocoon uh, gave me an insight into what it was like to be old you know and what it was like to be an old and particularly an old woman in in the Golden Girls you know they've all had these these different um, and they're you see how their, their relationships have ended up in that but but I, I feel like you know how we, they don't even have that now what's the equivalent what's the modern equivalent of, what's the the tick equivalent of the Golden Girls I don't know
0: yeah, and I, I mean, we just don't even talk about the elderly in general, elderly men, elderly women. I think people are really like,
1: go and die. Just go and die.
2: You're not hot. Go and die. Yeah. Well, you do, you do see, you know, 50, 60 year old men who have now calling themselves, now identifying as women. They get they get a lot of airplay. Mm, but the, the, yeah. if the Golden Girls was rebooted, it'd be, you Golden know, it'd be trans f- girls. The Golden Trans Girls, yeah.
0: i mean you said it as a joke but some of the time some of the times the things that come out but i really think i really think um go woke and go broke is slowly slowly penetrating you can see i think the bud light thing was a big um shift in all of this and i think shareholders and other people are going like oh god i also think the netflix numbers must be just absolutely dismal like who after like a long day at work wants to come home and be guilt tripped basically it's just it's just incredible but yeah no we don't we don't um especially as the boomers get older like i people don't think about the elderly people don't talk about the elderly people don't understand how much work it is to take care of an elderly person like i don't know how our social services are gonna withstand all of it it's a It's a pretty incredible.
2: Well, on a slightly related topic, have you, have you seen a trailer for a new movie that's coming out by the Daily Wire called Lady Ballers? Have you seen this?
0: I did. And oh God, I watched it. I watched the trailer and I was like, do I, am I going to quote tweet? Am I going to be the no fun feminist? (laughs) Like, oh God, like it did seem at points funny. And I, I, I think it would be the kind of film that would be made like, let's say like 20 years ago um before all of this to make fun of it but i'm also like why is there so much like women in pain and women being hurt in this trailer like women being slammed to the ground women being like i was like why does this require so much imagery of women in pain like what is what is going on and what is the joke
2: well, I, th- I think one of the problems, and John, you identified this. We were chatting about it earlier, is that because the Daily Wire, they they are ideologically ca- captured. I mean, they are very right, right on these on these issues, right wing on these issues. So, uh, to, to to make, I, I think to make a great piece of cinema or or you know e- even a great comedy, you, you sort of you sort of have to be in the center, really like you know you have to attack it from the center and maybe that's the problem i mean they they're really hammering home the fact that that women aren't safe when men get into their sporting leagues basically
0: yeah and and i mean i actually i watched the daily wire because like i didn't grow up around right-wing people right like i grew up in like the most west coast hippie like i like you know lived by a commune there was like kids called like ocean that i went to school with like i just didn't know any canadia yes it is yeah I just grew up in like a very very left-wing place so i didn't know any right-wing people and i've i was always just quite confused by them um so i do watch some of the daily wire stuff um just to get some perspective and yeah it's it's walsh and Knowles, and a lot of them are like catholic they have like traditional catholic sexual ethics and they just seem they just want like a return to traditional patriarchy but what i find it so confusing about that is the economic policies that they say that they support for the most part with some exceptions i think some of them have clocked this contradiction actually and are talking less about it but the the economic stuff that they support Completely undermines the family and makes creating a traditional family almost impossible. Like, if you have like privatization and no social services and low wages and just like pr- protecting the profit motive to the absolute max, those aren't conditions in which you can actually create a family. And it's really also interesting to see them try and sell it to both men and women because you have a generation of people who, like, the men. like oh like the men's rights activists like marriage is a trap like she's just gonna like take you and take all your money and you know she's slept with like 20 men now and now she's gonna settle on you you chump and she's gonna take you for all your worth and women aren't getting married because they're like well what is what's in this for me like i make a good income like i don't see why i need to do this So it's very interesting to see them try and sell the concept and they always do it in kind of like pseudo feminist terms like it's quite funny they'll be like oh no like it's a partnership and it's it's beautiful and it could be like a meeting of equals and i'm like wow like you sound like like a 1960s like radical feminist like all of these ideas were like radical feminist ideas not too long ago but it's very interesting to see how the right has painted itself into a corner. And I I kind of see it in my mind, like there's kind of um, like the the new president of Argentina guy, like um, super capitalist, really into like microeconomics. We want to deregulate everything, Um, very like morally neutral, kind of very materialist. Like we just care about um, maximizing profits. Uh, this kind of like this the ideological um inheritors of like thatcherism and reaganism and stuff and then and those guys are sharks and they like making money and then you have like the daily wire people who are like traditional um conservative in kind of the classical sense of the word they want to conserve things for how they are um and those are quite two contradicting tendencies and i think like the bitcoin like anarcho-capitalist bros have had the upper hand for a long time, and we might be starting to switch to the trads. But I just don't know how they're gonna present that to people kind of economically.
1: Do you think that this might be an American thing as well? Like a particular kind of American right? Because like in Australia, for instance, and maybe, you know, you have uh, uh, roots in the Commonwealth. So uh, I think you might understand this as well, but like left and right, as we've typically understood them in Australia, even if you're on the conservative side in Australia, you're not getting rid of Medicare. Like you, like we everyone agrees that, that we need a a um uh, an acceptable floor that you that you can't fall through. Do you know what I mean? And we've got a range of other things like that are becoming just totally standard. Like our, our childcare system is is I don't know, Ricky, what would you say? It's quite I think it's quite generous. Like it really. is generous, yeah. It's very yeah. generous. Like um, yeah. you know, we've got a a friend who's a single parent and and she only has to pay seventy bucks a week for For her kid to go to daycare um which is like i mean so we've got a lot we've got a lot going and i I feel like so even if you were on the right in australia that's immovable i mean the downside of 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 this is that um if you're on the left in australia you also are on a unity ticket with our um asylum seeker and detainee yeah Uh, we've got like alcatraz style um uh policies when it comes to um You know you ain't getting in you know what i mean you come here on a boat and we're going to send you to it's going to be like escape from new york we're going to send you somewhere just to some mad country and put you in a camp so it's we've got this weird thing in in uh but 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 amer i feel like the american right is so allergic to the horror of socialism that they won't accept any of these measures so you don't get the the child care or anything
0: yeah i mean i think that it's really important to Consider it in the context of the Cold War in the U.S. as well. I don't think even those those of us from Australia or Canada, and certainly not from the U.K., understand like the anti-communist um, hysteria. Really, like I think, like I think, like Noam Chomsky was right when he said like anti-communism was the official state religion of the U.S. Like it was just everything. Like being a socialist in that country is like the worst possible thing you can call somebody. And I also think like we just don't have, um, we don't really have a religious right. We it's not something that we've ideologically inherited. Whereas you know people from Europe went to the New World in 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 Americas because they were very religious. They wanted a place where they could be more wackadoodle religious than they could. In the UK, really let or... their hair
1: down, and, and just yeah, exactly,
0: <laughs> Puritanism um, in 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 the UK or in um, Holland or in wherever they were. So, and and then you had Reagan and the the moral majority and this big cultural reaction to like the 1960s, um, and we just don't have any of that. And I'm I'm trying to, I've really made an effort to understand it because you know you get in the gender critical movement you get accused on. Being on side with the religious right-wing American people, and I—I um, I was so ignorant of—I obviously wasn't—that I, I was so ignorant of them. And I've taken—I've taken some time to understand them. I really think that they have this um, kind of like moral realism, like they really, really believe um, that you know you have to have these things tethered. To kind of these traditional values, or everything falls apart. They see it as the way things kind of attach to the earth, and I don't think it's something most of us can really relate to. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a fascinating thing. And I've I've gotten to know the difference between like the trad caths and the evangelicals, and the, the reform people, and like even like a Ben Shapiro, like a modern Orthodox Jew, and like how it all works together. But yeah, even in Canada, like you, you, you can't touch abortion, you can't touch universal health care. It's like those things would just make you deeply, deeply, deeply unpopular. But I think it's just like the, the legacy of a real fever pitched kind of anti-communism in the US that kind of carries this through.
1: Well, one of the things that uh, we'd love to talk to you about, uh, Hannah, is, is liberal feminism uh and it's not your job to explain feminism to us uh but we need you to explain feminism to us we've uh had we've had it because we've had a couple of guests who've who've now who have come on and they sort of taken like you know we, we we have all sorts on 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 the show and and they sort of uh, quite a, a bunch of them have taken aim at feminism from different angles and i've tried to win the white knight uh, of the year award uh, by pushing them uh, pushing back pushing back to, to be more specific <laughs> about it's the only time i've ever done it i get on my helmet and i go ladies step behind me uh, <laughs> so I, I i've just tried to say look you know um, perhaps you could be more specific about what kind of feminism you mean. And it hasn't really gone well. But I, I, I think what they're trying to express is a, is a distaste for, and you've talked about this, this on, on Red Fem, uh, a kind of liberal feminism um that is very broad and contradictory and and embarrassing at times um so maybe you know we could just open up there's got a few angles we want to come at this but i mean how do you understand liberal feminism and, and sort of what time span would you would you put on it
0: oh this is such a good question i mean sorry um i think i think there's kind of two ways to understand it and it's like liberal in the classical sense which is all about you know, like the freedom of the individual and um, self-actualization, like think like classical liberal values from like the French Revolution and um, also in terms of meaning reform. So rather than like revolutionary actions or adopting alternative lifestyles or whatever, it's like, what can we accomplish in the courts? And I think in the 1960s and 70s, um, a lot of liberal feminism was good like a lot of it was very good i would like betty friedan um who wrote the feminine mystique which is kind of the seminal book of what really kicked off second wave feminism and it was about kind of the unhappiness of housewives um and this um unspeakable problem that everyone was kind of unhappy but was pretending to have to be very happy and a lot of that book was yeah like calling back to those um kind of values and saying, like, look, look, it's like wasted potential. If you give up your, you know, your Ph.D. candidacy or you give up that job you really like to, you know, because you have to just be happy at home and that's all you have to, and you just have to be obsessed with your children and that's all you think about is there's a waste of human potential. Um, and that was what I I think could be fairly called liberal feminism. I mean, things in the second wave at that point were so embryonic. Um, that e- these kind of distinctions didn't really exist, but it's liberal and it's feminism. I think that's it's fair to call it that. Um, but then I think um, the way that I understand the liberal versus radical feminist split, it's not even really so much a liberal versus radical feminist split. What I think could be more accurately described as the pro-sex versus anti-sex split and you might think that's crazy who's anti-sex. But when I say anti-sex, I mean, critical of um, the sex industry, critical of pornography, critical of prostitution, critical of like objectification, having this sort of analysis. Um, and there was, a, there was a huge fight and a huge split between um, women who thought you could, who were really taken in by postmodernism and kind of the ideas of Foucault. And Foucault has this idea of like the slave master dialectic and really it's the slave who has power over the master. Ooh, how interesting. And they were, you know, they were taken in by all of this. And so they were into like practices like BDSM, like Gail Rubin, like uh, um, who wrote, she wrote Macho Sluts, I think, or a queer theorist who's obsessed with gay men, very strange. Anyway, she like um, like carved a swastika into her lover like during a BDSM session. And like Andrea Tworkin was like, I bet your like Holocaust surviving family is very proud of you. And it was this big kind of blow up. And I think that it's really useful for me to look at these things in terms of that split. And what I find interesting about it is obviously, I think I talked about this in our last podcast as well, obviously like the the pro-sex, quote unquote, feminists won, but they still, I think what people's frustration is and confusion and what the contradictions people talk about is they want to be like anti-objectification and don't sexually harass me and don't, you know, um, hashtag me too. And if a man comes up to me in the street, sexual harassment, but they'll also talk about like how wonderful an amazing like bdsm and pornography is like the, like the most like sexually exploitative thing ever. Um so i i i really understand it kind of through that lens. Though there's many different ways of understanding it. I think really the pro versus anti-sex lens is the best way to. And i think that's what people are mad about it. I do think people just hate feminism because um it's uh, some of it's very like challenging and um uh you know no fun you're always the person going <laughs> it's
1: a drag wow. it's a party handbrake coming in so yeah. i can't do yeah, this exactly. or that.
0: so i think it's that but i also think the contradictions that people talk about that's really that's really what they're talking about
2: well wh- why is it so hard as a woman to admit that you're not into all of this stuff you know having sex with I don't know, 150 guys, yeah, BDSM, OnlyFans and, and other kinky stuff, you know, sh- should you be persecuted, you know, if you, if you're not into it? I mean, it seems like women were bullied into going along with this stuff, you know, and they're just not, not, not into it, generally speaking.
0: I think bullying is the right way to put it. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. It, it and I was, I was like youngish at the kind of absolute height of this stuff, um, though Jen tells me it was at a at a real height beforehand as well. I think what happened was was the kind of enemy in the mind, the kind of like thing that everyone wanted to exist in reaction to was that moral, it's also American like cultural imperialism, but it was like this moral majority Reaganite evangelical traditional Christian that existed in the heads of everyone. And that was kind of the Oppressor. that was the the person that you had to exist in reaction to. um and and, you know, being kind of puritanical meant giving in to this oppressor, despite the fact that, like, oh God, the religious right were so out of power and so unimportant at this time, really. I mean, we've seen that they've kind of gained some momentum recently. And it wasn't the case at the time. And I also just think like all of this stuff is very, very pro. oh, sorry. <clears throat> all this stuff is just very, very profitable um, for uh a lot of major industries, like the beauty industry and um the sex industry. And it's very, it's not very challenging. And I think a lot of women see their, their 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 um their value through the lens of um like sexual and reproductive worth. And if you that just plays right into it. You don't have to challenge any of those things at all. Um so I think it was a lot easier and a lot more palatable but it is it it does become like bullying and for myself like I had to I had to think like god like who are these religious people and are they really all that evil and are they and you know you get to know them and you know you think well I don't I don't really agree with that but you can you can see their perspective and their point of view and they really think that they're doing a very good thing um but yeah it was just an it, you know existing in reaction to this um i think this boogeyman of this puritan in the heads of every person um and it's so interesting to see the incredible backlash i mean i think Jen and i have talked about it on the podcast before but people used to round up their quote unquote body count now there's a lot of like rounding down people are trying to pretend as if they're more conservative because I think just Gen Z like saw basically how cringe this is. And there's a whole industry of like older millennials. Like I think of the Novara media types who just can't believe it's over. They just can't believe it. Like they keep like publishing things that are like, why are Gen Z so sex negative? What's going on with Gen Z? They don't like, I don't know, do they even
1: peg? Yeah, yeah, Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. I was going to say like chem sex parties like we do why um and there's just a real refusal to let this go and I think the idea was basically the idea was like the more men you have sex with the more liberated you are was kind of the idea and then women went and did that and was like actually that was quite shit like I didn't like that very much and there is like a whole industry of like older millennials who simply cannot believe it
2: Well, that makes me think of, of slut walks. You know, slut walks used to be a thing where women, women would meet in a public square somewhere, they dress provocatively, some even get naked or partially naked and chant about how being a slut is, is great. Is, uh, are slut walks still a thing?
0: No, 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 no. It's, I think that, that era is very over. It's very cringe. You know, it's sad, like I've, um, your, your friend and hopefully podcast guest at some point, Germaine Greer, um, reading the female eunuch, she talks a lot about sexuality. And the title of the book is the kind of the idea of the the archetype or the stereotype of the perfect woman is someone who is de-sexed, so like a Barbie doll, and there's nothing erotic about it. Um, everything is kind of inhuman and out of remove and, really women are kept separate from their sexuality. Women have like a primary, she just describes it as like a primary relationship of disgust with them, themselves and their bodies and their sexuality. Um, and so I think being charitable, I think the idea was, oh, if we're more sexual, um, we will like undo that. But the kind of sex that they're talking about is like the least erotic, like most pornified, kind of several steps removed, most commodified, you know, like most sold, bought and sold kind of very superficial sexuality. Um but I think that's basically what they were thinking was like oh women are kept kind of ashamed of themselves and if we're more sexual that will be better. But I think that there was a real Misunderstanding of the kind of sexuality being spoken about, which was something real and authentic and erotic, and you know, where two people with a subjectivity are kind of interacting, and it's just the most like objectified um, version of all of that. And I, I think it's it's really disappointing. I kind of see where those women were coming from. It was like, oh, there's nothing wrong with being sexual, but the way in which it's played out. It's just like you. You're still a Barbie doll. You're just like a like a Barbie doll with a with a hole. Like there's no other human thing going on. Yeah. Well, there's there's this
2: guy called Jesse Lee Peterson, and he's a conservative radio host and and pastor. And he used to go around interviewing women at these slut slut walks. And his videos are quite 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 infamous, I think. And they're they're quite hilarious and and confusing. Uh, he mostly asks these women if if they are a slut and and to define what a slut is and the responses are quite interesting. A, a lot of the women he talks talks to have had very few sexual partners. One I think confessed to being a virgin, but yet they're supporting slutdom and 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 in most cases calling themselves sluts. And it 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 was interesting to me because I I, I felt that 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 has kind of changed in in our time right now to people identifying as queer or non-binary whereas back then they might have used that label of slut in 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 some way to escape womanhood or stick it to the patriarchy or something and and now that's kind of been replaced by non-binary or queer do you have any thoughts on this
0: yeah it's an interesting thought i think that basically what happened the standard of um objectification and femininity, and when I say femininity, I don't mean like womanly, I mean like the stereotypical archetypal kind of femininity. Those standards became so high, the kind of what was expected, and what was performed, coupled with having to go out and have all this pornified, horrible sex that no one enjoyed, that I think they they had to open up non-binary to say, but like, oh, if you're de-sexed, you you know, if you don't want to participate, you can always not be a woman. And it's interesting because it's non-binary. It's something that you you're not, not something that you are. So the implication is the rest of us are binary. And what that means for women is the rest of us like being objectified, whatever. It's just kind of reified by which I mean, made real, um, the objectification for everyone else. And I could—it's it, not surprising to me that a generation who thinks that can like hop, skip, jump to the idea that that objectification in and of itself is what being a woman is. I got a TikTok comment, brilliant! Like young women are so brilliant. She was like, "Oh, I just think they associate being women, being a woman, with um, men being attracted to you or men, male sexual attention." Um, and I think that's probably the case. That's why lesbians are kind of apropos of nothing assumed to be um, non-binary or assumed Mm. to be trans men that's really interesting I'd like to watch those videos I'm not sure that I did watch them at the time but yeah some of them saying that they're virgins or some of them not really having all that many sexual partners it's exactly the case it was such a smoke screen and maybe you can talk to Jen about it when she's on later but she knows a lot of these people personally you know who are promoting this stuff and she's like you're not hypersexual sex pot at all I know I know about your personal life that's not the case and it is interesting how people use politics to work out their psychological problems like it's a bit of a a truth that people right-wing people who claim to be sexually conservative have the most intense insane sex, sex scandals you could possibly imagine where you're like I couldn't make that up if I tried that's so depraved. Whereas people on the left, um, who are like, I'm sex positive, I'm a sex positive, queer soul, um, sex worker, whatever. They have like a boyfriend named Tom. They've been like <laughs> 15 years And they're going to take something. his
1: name. Y- yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he exactly. As you said in the podcast, they're going to take his name.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, and I, I think it's, it's really interesting that this was put up on a pedestal and how um separate it was from the reality of women's lives like i think that the idea was if we make if we promote this hypersexuality women will go out and have a bunch of sex with um strangers and then they'll be liberated and connected to their bodies but i think it just ended up women just felt very like objectified and kind of used and and not appreciated which is exactly what you would exactly what you would expect
2: well if 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 sex positivity is is largely accepted you know, by the majority of, of, of people. Why are beauty pageants not accepted or grid girls or the, the, the darts walk on girls, you know?
0: Why are they not accepted?
2: Yeah, because they, they often, uh, you know, the, 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 the feminists try, well, maybe it's not just, just feminists, but there are a certain strand of feminism that wants to shut down beauty pageants, that want mm-hmm. want to get rid of grid girls, want to get rid of cheerleaders, that sort of thing. Don't come for the cheerleaders, come on
0: oh god that's really interesting i hadn't noticed that
2: because um, there's the, the, there's a, there's a I've, I've seen clips of this this happened maybe five or six years ago like uh i think formula one they were trying to get rid of the grid girls and they, they're on some sort of piers morgan type show and the grid girls are saying you're taking away my income you know this this is work i want to do i'm not being duped out of it i make good money out of it you know
0: i mean i i think it could be like in my ideal world i wouldn't want those things to exist like i just find it it just it makes me feel like like jen likes the ufc god knows why and every time one of those women like walks up in a bikini i'm like why are you there like what is it
1: they're telling us what round it is and looking sexy (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They're telling us what round it is, and the camera kind of lingers. Do they but have like, those
2: bikini? Look, I'm not. A, I'm not. Don't don't really follow UFC, but do they have those bikini ladies for the female UFC fighters as well?
0: Yeah, they do. And then just the contrast between like the lesbian UFC fighters, and like you're kind of like, wow, this is the two very different kinds of women. <laughs> and I think it was Hamzat Chumayev, who is like this um, Muslim. I think he's Dagestani, like from the Muslim part of Russia, Um, very conservative. Like he was like, I do not understand the points. Like, why do we need them? Like just useless. Like, I think he's he's asked for them not to be there. I do think some women might use this stuff because it's so contradictory. You're right. Like, I'm struggling to understand it as you've said it to me, because I don't really get it because I'm consistent. I'm against all of it. So it's not difficult for me. I could be like, I hate the, the the objectification of the beauty pageants, but I also hate sex positivity. Is it, I think it might just be jealousy or difficulty. I think that they want, I think they see, there's also this interesting strand of it that like sex and sexuality is like a human right that everyone is entitled to kind of in equal proportion as if you'll, you know, like having sex is like being housed or you know, having childcare or any of those things that like actually matter. But and I think that might be my way to explain that contradiction would be um, like, yeah, just like, well, why don't all women get this kind of sexual attention? Why is it only the pretty ones that look like, you know, Texas, like Americans like with their bouncy bleach blonde curls or whatever? Why mm-hmm. can't it be all kinds of women? I think would be maybe the underlying logic, but I also find it very confusing like I'm struggling to figure it out as I speak to you.
2: Yeah, it is interesting that that contradiction contradiction does exist because you you get people that are supportive of, of of people opening up and only fans, but I'm sure some of those same people wouldn't be down with women going in a beauty pageant, for instance, you know whereas those things are you know in terms of using your 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 looks to make money, I mean it's essentially you're doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. I also think I know what it is. It has to do with transgression. So I think the whole thing between of queer theory, specific, I was about to say critical theory in general, but I do actually think it's really queer theory is that if something is transgressive, that means it's good. And usually one of the bars is, um, whether or not it's against something that the state says, so prostitution, the state was against prostitution. The state criminalized prostitution. Therefore, prostitution is good. Um, another kind of strand of this is the state criminalizes drug addiction. Therefore, drug addiction is good. And I think because the the beauty pageants aren't illegal and never have been and aren't transgressive in any way, they don't like them. That might also be what it is.
2: We just, we just need to make them illegal. Then, then, then they'll be cool.
0: Yeah yeah
1: no just make it kinky that's all you gotta do
0: <laughs> aren't you hungry like you look like you haven't eaten and whenever i see the beauty pageant girls i'm like you just look like you haven't eaten in a very long time i just want to like sit them down and like give them a meal and like a cup of tea and be like what do you want to do like you look cold <laughs> <I don't>...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well this could be a nice transition to uh another come at this from another angle i do want to get into the backlash but i think we'll 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 come back to that because My old university in WA uh, in in Australia is hosting something called Pornposium 2023. So that's just this year's one. So there'll be another one next year, presumably. Teens, parents, and sexual health and sexuality education professionals are invited to attend Pornposium, a discussion featuring a panel of academic, expert, and community-led speakers offering a nuanced and multifaceted perspective upon pornography, sexual content, and young people. Speakers include Cam Fraser, Australia's leading sex coach, Kath Hackinson, qualified sexual health nurse, author and founder of Sex Ed Rescue, and Kayleen Kerr uh, from eSafe Kids. Uh, so that's a good ad for that uh, Monday, fourth of December. If uh, <laughs> you know, if you're around <laughs> the State the Library, State, State Library of the WA, State Library of WA. I've been to the State Library, and it's not a very yeah. sexy place. But um, no. so, what's your first thoughts on this kind of event, Hannah?
0: I mean, it's it's just I, I I think they're trying. I think what that is, from just the list of speakers and the thing that you said, is trying to preempt um, some of the criticisms about porn and young people and the kind of horrifying effect like the 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 evidence is like not ambiguous at all about the effects of internet pornography on young people and their sexuality and their mental health and really the internet in general on young people's mental health how it really is like a, a serious um health hazard to have a teenager on the internet like it's not um ambiguous in the research at all, that it's it anxiety, depression, body dysmorphia, like it's bullying, like there's nothing about like nothing ambiguous about that at all. And I think it's trying, it's foreseeing those criticisms and trying to preempt them. And I think all of it is about like, I read Kasia Eckes Ekman's book, um being and being bought you should see if you can you 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 should you should see if you could have her actually she's really great she's a she's a marx a swedish marxist feminist i'll send you her name but she wrote about a book about prostitution and she basically said the whole thing about the sex work activism and the pornography activism is protecting regulated prostitution that's the thing that they want. They want to make sure that prostitution and pornography is legal and that the regulations that do exist are in their favor. And if there's any other kind of model in any way, that's what they want to prevent. So that for me seems like, oh, if we acknowledge that there's a problem with kids and e-safety, then we can kind of preempt these criticisms and protect our, our industry but it's so crazy how many academics basically exist as paid shills of the, of the pornography industry and the prostitution industry, how some of these people have like, um, our shareholders and are, are part of it all. Um, they should invite like Melinda Tankard Reese. Do you know, Melinda Tankard Reese? She's an Australian woman. Um, she runs an organization called Collective Shout. Um, you should also have her on and her, um, colleague, Daniel Principe on, he'd be great, Um, but they, they're like an anti-hypersexualization charity. So if like someone puts up a big sexualized billboard in the middle of a street in Australia, they'll start making phone calls and protesting and get the big billboard taken down. Um, They like, if there's like things that are sexualizing children on Etsy, they'll get Etsy to take it down. And another, another thing that they do is they do talks in schools about um, pornography, and they send this guy Daniel Principe around to talk to kids about the effects of pornography on their ideas of masculinity, their ideas about themselves, the ideas about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And some of the things that Melinda and Daniel say, people kids are saying to them are just incredible. Um, teachers being sexually harassed in school, um, like not even other students, that female teachers being sexually harassed, boys saying like, sending them porn, seeing like, oh, look what I saw last night. Why can't you do this? Um, like just absolutely horrifying stuff. So I think that this is kind of reaching a fever pitch where people are realizing it's the problem. So the pornography industry and the academics it favors has to, you know, make sure that it's protecting itself.
1: Well, I got a quote here from uh, the booking site. This panel features speaker Cam Fraser, Australia's leading sex coach, who will offer a sex-positive perspective on sexual content. close quote, "Now, the fact is, and it, it, that women-centered porn or softer style of porn or whatever you want to call it, uh, this kind of content that's minuscule compared to the hardcore stuff." Uh, so, right. Ricky, so Ricky tells me, um, but 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 you know, the the what is the sex-positive defense? of something like Blacked? Or, you know, what's the societal benefit of Reality Kings, Ricky? Uh, Or or what about (laughs) the- What's that, John? Never heard of it. So, or what about the sexual trafficking or abuse material on Pornhub? Uh, You know, or the zero questioning, as we we just sort of touched on this, Yeah, or the zero questioning of who's behind these huge streaming porn sites. How come we don't know their names? We don't, like, they're the most, successful famous people in the world we should be talking about them all the time proudly and saying oh that's who they are but instead there's this cloak of of um this veil behind who they are but i find this this strange dissociation between the way these sex positive people like cam talk about porn and whatever and the dirty reality of what they're actually you know talking about here i mean what do you think
0: i think they would say i think they would say everything is fine as long as there is consent And um, consent is put up as this, uh, like, you know, holy grail of everything, as if people don't consent to things at the time and then regret them later or realize they're quite bad for them or go, oh God, like, why did I make that decision? That was terrible. Or consent to something that is objectively harmful. I just think it's that Gail Dines quote objective harm is objectively harmful. Like if someone is being strangled, they're being strangled. Like it's objectively a harmful thing, whether what they said five minutes before or five minutes after. Um, and yeah, like you, I, I've spoken to women who work in the women's sector in like rape crisis lines and um, domestic violence shelters and the amount of women who are coming in with strangulation injuries. That have caused like hypoxic brain damage, like permanent brain damage, for things that they quote unquote consented to, as if consent um, erases harm completely. And in UK law, I'm not sure what the law in Australia. In UK law, you can't you can't consent to violence. If someone says you know you can kill me and you kill them, you're still a murderer. Um, So it's uh, consent is put up, and it's just individualism and it's this postmodern idea of like. We, you know, we might be oppressed by various structures, but we can act as um, we can um, transgress and turn the tables on our own oppression. And actually, we're the ones in power or whatever. It's just not how we talk about um, anything else that is harmful we don't talk about like alcoholism this way. We're not like, oh, the alcoholic has cirrhosis of the liver and is going to die imminently, but he's collecting change in order to, you know, look look at all the power he has. It's just it's just when, it, when we talk about women and children that this whole thing comes about. And I think yeah, I think they try to say basically if the magic words are said, all the objective harm and it's also there's the people on the camera that are being harmed, but it's the, the the men and women and whoever and the children who are watching it who you know it causes mental health problems and also all the people around them the teacher that they go and sexually harass the marriage that get, falls into trouble like there's this whole spectrum of harm that happens around and even in prostitution when we talk about prostitution no one ever talks about the women um who think that they're in monogamous marriages who end up with incurable stds you know like this kind of stuff happens so i think they would just say yeah consent
2: but wouldn't a multifaceted approach to pornography also feature anti-pornography thought leaders or feminists rather than just a sex coach and a sexual health health nurse i mean it seems very one-sided
0: yeah i might send the details if you send the details to me i might send the details to melinda and have her show up i think that she could contribute something from the floor that would be good
2: well what's interesting is this this pornposium thing it it, it is virtually doesn't exist on the internet like there, there was a post on uh on x that we saw and then also angie, at, at, i think angie reposted it from yeah somewhere. someone yeah angie reposted it and then you can find it on the booking website but it doesn't exist anywhere else it's hard to find it on the internet so it's i think it's one of those deals where they're doing it but they don't want too many people knowing about it because then you might get protested. They cause... don't want the
1: publicity they should have. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I feel like everyone should know about it. Like, like, and then you just go, then you, then you'd get the attention. Then we could get a, a consensus on this. Like, you know, it just feels like that if you put all of this to people, if, like if you be authentic and you ask them, you say, do you think there's a problem with the way everyone's, You know consuming pornography and you know particularly at a young age you think there's a problem i think most people would be like yeah i don't know i don't think it's very good
0: i think the goal of something like that is to bring because they did they also had someone about e-safety didn't they yes so i think the goal of something like that is to bring someone who's on the fence or who is a quote-unquote stakeholder, such like silly mba language i hate it but anyway someone who's like a stakeholder in like the um children's online safety world put them in a room with these porn people where they feel um they you know they feel like too awkward to really object and next time someone brings up um you know um pornography and children's safety on the internet that the people from the children's safety on the internet sector can go oh i went to this symposium and actually we had this really productive conversation and it's about lobbying and preempting and there's really really powerful interests involved here um and like you said we don't know who these people are like we don't know who the mind geek people are we have an idea but we don't really understand who in fact works for these companies and what they're up to
1: we should know about them the way we know about um uh, you know bill gates like i mean the, the mind geek people are well, you know, if 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 what they're doing is completely above board and something we should celebrate, like the creation of the iPhone and all of this stuff, then why don't we? Why aren't they on the cover of Wired? Why aren't they? Why celebrating them and saying, "Oh, isn't this great?" And the king, the the perverts in um Silicon Valley should be all about it.
0: Oh yeah, and same with the um the people in it. You know, um why aren't porn actresses celebrated in the same way? Angelina Jolie is, you know, mm. like, why not? If it's exactly the same. And it's wonderful. And the answer to that, frankly, is a lot of them die. A lot of them the the, the age, uh, the average age of someone in the sex industry is very, very low. A lot of them are addicted to drugs. And a lot of them have profound um, health problems and profound mental health problems from their time in the sex industry. I haven't really encountered an exception.
1: Well, it just seems to me that these sex-positive people and their whole movement is is decidedly creepy. They come across as something out of the Wicker Man, you know. It's um, they've got sort of a cheery. I don't know if you've seen that film, but it's a cheery demeanor, uh sanguine, uh, uh cult, cultish thing, and and their obsession with just you know but lube and butt fun is is it's too much. It's too much. Well,
0: I I also think was it Lacan who said like it's like it's like a kind of psychosis. Like if if something is based on denial, there can be no room for doubt. We see it with transgenderism as well. If, you know, if something is we all have like transient feelings about many things. Like someone might be very religious um but you know they have days where they feel like oh they don't believe in god or whatever and if it's not based on denial and it's not like psychotic it's something that they can talk about um there's like ambiguity but if if a belief is based on total denial there can be no room for doubt so they can't even like entertain for a second that there would some some of them have started saying oh you know there's problems with the industry and that's about the extent in which they can take it.
2: Now, I, I I know the label groomer gets bandied around a lot, but do you think this aggressive style of of sex ed has been infiltrated by bad actors?
0: Oh, um, I think it's bad actors and useful idiots. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I don't doubt that there's like pedophiles involved, um, but I also think ideology is really powerful, and people believe some of the stuff. They really believe it. I think that they think because something like challenging capital and challenging a market is so unthinkable to so many people, the idea that we could have a market that exists that no longer exists um, is a really difficult thing for people to wrap their head around. Um, I think it seems like an impossibility to most, if not all people living in um, Western, global, North, neoliberal countries that rather than saying, oh, no, like, foot binding in china was a thing it doesn't exist anymore there was a slave trade that was a market it doesn't exist anymore like that kind of thinking is not possible abolition is not even on the question on the table so it becomes about um harm reduction what they call harm reduction which begs the question of who are you reducing the harm for like what, you know, what harm is actually being reduced here? Where is this harm? Um, And then the ideology says, oh, well, the harm comes from what they call stigmatization. If the thing was not stigmatized, then it wouldn't be harmful. It's just the stigma. But some things, again, objective harm is objectively harmful. I'm a bit of a moral realist in this sense. Um, Drug addiction is the other one where this kind of discourse comes up. You know, if you don't think heroin is bad and you just think it, you know, being illegal, it being illegal is bad, you know, give me your baby and I'll shoot them with heroin. Just like, give me your baby. Like, I'll give them a pediatric dose of heroin. I'm not going to overdose them. Like, give me your baby and I'll, you know, we'll give them some heroin. No one in their right mind would. Everyone knows that this stuff is objectively harmful. But I think because they can't imagine um dismantling a market, basically, they can't think of a a way in which this would not exist. Um, And I do think there are some really bad actors. Um, I also think it's the people who are the most weird about sex who um, want to talk about sex all the time. Like, I don't think, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think like um, your perversion uh, like when freud talked about perversion he just meant anything that wasn't procreative intercourse it was just the term for that it, it wasn't morally loaded like it is now mm. but then um other kind of theories of perversion is like and lacan's kind of theory of perversion is this idea of like the rules don't apply to you so you know things belong in the bedroom and then there's the rest of life and there's these boundaries and these rules i think it's people um who don't have um these kinds of boundaries or this kind of understanding that the rules apply to them that's why often they dress in funny ways like you'll just see them in like weird hats or whatever like it's because <laughs> they don't. You know what you're saying like some of these weird positivity people you're like why are you wearing like a why do you have like brightly colored 18 colored hair and like skull earrings and like a weird like why are you dressed in such a eye-catching weird way it's because they don't believe rules because i wait about
1: them. sex, and i want to talk about it all the time
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah like if you like like i have a problem with capitalism so i talk about capitalism all the time like it's not like if you don't have a problem with something you're not needing to discuss it and i just think there are lots of people and i do think every once in a while there's like and i'm sorry to say this but like i'm just gonna say like there's this overweight white woman like kind of it's always an overweight white woman in like funny colored hair talking about sex as if she's talking about like a children's story like it's really creepy and weird and I just also think for some women being sexually rejected on some basis is like so wounding and difficult that they're like I need to now figure this out this sex thing and why it excludes me um I think Burlesque. is another reason.
2: Burlesque, yeah. Burlesque
0: yeah like our last episode yeah w or
1: you are not quite there you just go hit some mm. burlesque up and then you take it off,
0: yeah uh yeah so i I, I think that yeah and I, I I think that also a lot I mean it's just it's in um we've all seen that Robert Jensen quote of him talking about it queer theory is just fucked with pedophilia because it is it's about transgression that's ultimately what it's about and what is the thing that can what is the most transgressive thing for most people. Mm. Um, And a lot like Foucault was a pedophile. A lot of these people were pedophiles.
2: Well, I think think predators have always gravitated to the path of of least resistance. You know, decades ago, pedophiles and groomers used institutions, say, like like the church to help carry out their work. But maybe now it's the gender woo and sex positive advocacy groups that are safe havens for, for these people. What do you think?
0: Yeah, yeah i uh well it's like you know if you're a foot fetishist get a job at a shoe store you know it's like what's going to get you the access to the kinds of things that you want Mm. (laughs) yes i it was very evocative
1: that's why I just because it was like i pictured them they're like someone's going like i can't stop thinking about feet so i'm gonna well there's that there's that episode from sex sex in the
2: city where uh i think it's charlotte uh, gets gets a new pair of shoes or and she ends up dating the the guy that works there, and he's obsessed with fate Yeah, he's a foot fetish. I bet, yeah. that's not in the, I bet you that's not in
1: the new show, because like, no. the new one would be, you know, it's, it's all wonderful. about
2: non-binary stuff, non-binary yeah. queers and stuff. Yes. Yeah.
0: Oh God, I really seeing like I think for a while, like twenty twenty was like the apex of like horrible, like they almost have the air of like TV specials, like about you know trans, and now it's. It, there was an ebb for a bit and now i'm just seeing more and more of it again of like i think that they're finally realizing like the peak woke happened and now people are on the way out and they are like clinging on to the last bit of contract money they can get writing about like non-binary latinx you know The tinks. We're tinks latinx <laughs> <laughs> my understanding spanish-speaking people hate that
2: they do they do it's
1: because yeah. it's, it's european or is it like imperialism or whatever it's you say they're trying to destroy the language like you're yeah. Saying, yeah you're saying don't don't mess with our language but do you do you, but do you really think that we've we've come through this with tunnel and, and because it did feel like 2020 was like the salem witch trials and that that it was just peak hysteria on all this stuff and i like you feel some kind of mm, i don't know what to call it Mm, uh, it's like a the sun peeking through the clouds slightly in a genuine way like like people are starting to reclaim words and we're seeing mainstream media covering some of these issues and you know people are starting to you know grow a set and say some things and 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 but i just wonder what the world looks like you know uh, on the other side on the proper on the other side of this do we all have to pretend like it didn't happen like do we have to pretend that people who i think maybe the it's it's too you know late in the conversation to get into this this um israel palestine stuff but i feel like that something about that event um was transformative and and it, and it really shattered uh, you know uh, the whole this whole thing for me and because we've got really interesting in fighting happening and and now it none of it really makes sense. Everyone's contradicting everyone. And you know, you're either you're either defending, you know, uh genocide or you're defending um you know murdering, raping terrorists. You know, so so it's sort of like a I mean what do you what do you think? Where where are we at, Hannah? Where where are we headed?
0: I I think it's on the way out. Um I would say keep in mind a lot of this is attached to the labor market. I think that's an important. So those people are still on their jobs. So they're going to go with like um, kicking and screaming. The Netflix writers, the HR people, the um, consultants, the whatever. They're going to go kick, like it's they're never I don't think many of them are ever going to admit that they were wrong. Um, so I think we'll see, it's it's fizzling, but I think it'll be fizzling for a while. It'll be at this low level for a while because A lot of those people and it's about keeping the job like i'm in this job because i'm a decolonial feminist who's you know um latin latinx and (laughs) very good (laughs) i I pretend to be indigenous and i'm not and whatever like that those people still have those jobs but yeah like i've seen it in the gender critical movement I think we've basically won the war in England for now. Things might change if labor get into power. But even Keir Starmer said women are adult human females. Um, the appetite for it is very low. I, 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 and I think I can pinpoint the moment where it stopped. There was like, you know, like a Vox Pop where they go and speak to people on the street. Mm. And there was a a woman and they're like, oh, it was like this, um, I think it was a Navara thing. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But this man was like, oh, will you vote for labor and why or why not? And she said, just as a normal woman in her 30s, she says, no, I never vote for them. Like, well, why, why? You don't want Tories, you don't want austerity, you want, what about our NHS, whatever. She said, oh, they don't know what a woman is. And he said, you wouldn't vote for them because of that? She said, no, and I don't know any women who would, who are around my age. And that clip circulated. And I think a lot of people in the labor party went, oh no, oh no, like I think, after that went around, people were like, oh, like this is actually quite serious. And it was in, within two or three weeks that the Labour Party said women are adult human females. Um, so now that the the I think for now we could we could regress, but the battle has been won on this on this front in the UK. Yeah, you already are starting to see the divisions because this is how social movements work. Often they coalesce around one issue. Um, like, self-ID or whatever, and then um, you get a lot of people from a lot of different pe- uh, um, factions across the political spectrum coming together on this one issue, and when the one issue resolves, um, it devolves into infighting, and that's exactly what you said. I think, yeah, what's happened around Israel-Palestine is really, really indicative of that, um, and I I found it, um, yeah, like, very similar to you, to be honest, like, horrifying from all ends, and I what i found really shocking was um people who are like i'm a free speech advocate being like they should be deported i was like okay so like the worst thing you could do to someone for speech like deport them that's mental i thought you were a free speech absolutist like what is going on um so yeah i think this is what happens when social movements um when some of those issues become resolved and i do think it's gonna be a, a slow fizzle um, in Australia and Canada, the U S is a bit more complicated because they do have the religious right. I do worry that they're just going to like capitalize on this as much as possible and be in power for the next 20, 30 years. And I also think the big elephant in the room that a lot of people on the left don't want to talk about is just how right-wing Gen Z are like very like lowered support for gay marriage. Um, on every account, Gen Z are like the most right-wing generation we've seen in a very, very long time. Um, So
1: that was all bought and paid for, though, isn't it? Like, like like, you know, that was. Yeah. I mean, that you could see that setup coming from a mile away.
0: Oh, completely. And I think the millennials are really reluctant to admit and see that. And like Gen Z, like I am a millennial, but they just they hate us. (gasps) They Uh hate us. I had no idea they have, they like share videos of like millennial cringe. And I'm like, Oh my God, I've done these things. Like this is terrible, but yet they know. It and I think, uh, yeah, when it's, it's, uh, things are just going to get real right wing very quickly. You That's what, my prediction.
1: You know, what really okay. burnt me uh, when I, saw, like, cause they do these things where they, they criticize millennials. They say, how come all millennials have phones like this? And I had the phone, this phone, I've got a leather. Red- I'm holding up. <laughs> I'm holding up my phone, which is a leather one, which you open up, and they said, "How come millennials have got these leather things with you open like a book?" And that's what I've got. <laughs> so, burnt me deep.
0: I don't even want to share the ones that burnt me because it's all just too dear. Like I just can't. But yeah, no. Um, but, they're but like, I, oh I, yeah. I, re-
1: I reject their criticism because you know, I well, we never said we were good. We never said we were great. Like, like it's not like we walked. We're not that boomers walking around going. We own everything yeah. we've written all the best stuff we've done all the best stuff
0: we, we, we were you know we were rubbish from the start so i think that they're like yeah there's like a i don't want to adult today like they're like why do all millennials all they talk about is like um the student loans and drinking wine i'm like oh my god like,
2: <laughs> all, that hurts
0: all too much
2: i feel i feel good I don't, I don't talk about any of that stuff and and my phone doesn't open like yours john so
0: well
2: i must be cool or i'm something. not
1: down with that.
0: i'm not down with the hood
1: as uh Norman would say
0: <laughs> yeah i just i think it's but it's a i think millennials are quite sincere and it was all about being like how i like harry potter and i'm i'm very sincere and then like gen z's are like the most nihilistic like actually
1: i worked with a girl in this in who who, recently who who, uh in social media um uh, we got along quite well because she's into movies and stuff like that but now that you think about it i was taken aback by her um frightening nihilism like constant like everything was meta terrifying and meta and um uh she moved at a million miles an hour couldn't concentrate on anything and just was would constantly i don't know like her mind was a pinball and as you say it was it was we had we did have a a, um i was frightened at the way like is i was like is this how it's going to be like i'm going to be frighteningly out of touch with these younger people increasingly
0: i saw one of them being like my mom my mom is here just doing her accounts and signing checks and i said mom you don't have to have like a video essay on the background or like TikTok, she's like i'd have to be 15 minutes deep into a video essay to do it i asked her how does she do, how does she do it and she said i just focus on the task at hand then <laughs> this gen z just found this incredible
1: well if they've got us to give them motivation tips and stuff they're in trouble do you know like if we're the that's ones it. giving them self-help they're in a lot of trouble
0: that's it yeah that's true
1: well, we've gone over time all we can do is uh, thank you so much uh for being so generous uh uh, uh hannah and um we've got our our uh, uh final question that we always ask uh and we'd like to know what's your reading right now
0: what am i reading right now i'm reading um simone de beauvoir's a woman destroyed um that novel it's fine i mean i'm like 100 pages in she's just talking about men a lot and I'm like I just don't this is you've mm. you've sold Good me book. a bill of goods here it's not what I was really looking for and then um I'm listening to like a like a fun audiobook it's like uh, it's that book that was quite popular in the UK how to kill your family how and your family. um and it's about yeah it's about a woman who was like an heiress to a fortune um but her father refuses to acknowledge that she exists so she kills everyone in the family and and it's um it's quite funny and quirky and has like insights into um British society that I'm like, oh yeah, that is true now that you say that, I get it oh. uh, yeah, that's what I'm reading right now, okay, I think,
1: yeah, I'll check that out uh, that looks interesting um uh uh I might give the de Beauvoir a miss. Um. Sounds heavy. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean it's not very good so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the I like the second sex. I thought that was good. Um, but oh, I'm also reading um Terry Eagleton. He's a bit annoying and Trotskyist, but he's he wrote this book called Karl Marx is Right, or Why Karl Marx is Right, or Why Marx Was Right. Um, and I quite like reading like introductions to Marx because. Oh, I'm always I'd always it's always good to re- be reminded of the basics before you like go into deeper things. Um, but it is one of those books that reads like I need to argue with my Twitter rivals for f- f- 50,000 words. Um, like it's literally like this objection to Marx and this is why it's wrong. And that's fine. But um, yeah, it's not as captivating as I would like. But that's another thing I'm reading.
2: Well, your podcast is called Red Fem. Everybody should check it out. It's very, very good. And Hannah, can people follow you on social media? Are you on X?
0: I'm on X. I'm Hannah with a H, so that's H-A-N-N-A-H. And my surname is B-E-R-R-E-L-L-I, Hannah Borelli. I'm Hannah Borelli too on TikTok. And yeah, the podcast is called Red Fem. We also have a Patreon if you want to support us there. Um, but we release, uh, free episodes every week on Spotify and Apple. As well.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. And
2: Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. <laughs> I always am like weird Australian summer Christmas. You got no so idea. So strange. It's hot. Yeah. But it's hot. I bet. I bet. It's not hot here.